Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. How did the concept of Israel impact early Jewish apocalyptic hopes of restoration? How diverse was Israelite identity in antiquity? Tune in as we talk with Jason A. Staples about his recent book, The Idea of Israel, in which he proposes a new paradigm for how the biblical concept of Israel developed in early Judaism. You're listening to New Books and Biblical Studies, a channel of the New Books Network, and I'm your host, Michael Morales. Jason A. Staples is a historian, author, speaker, journalist, voice actor, and American football coach and analyst. He is an assistant teaching professor in the Department of Philosophy and Religious Studies at NC State University and the author of The Idea of Israel in Second Temple Judaism, A New Theory of People, Exile, and Israelite Identity. He is also the author of numerous articles on ancient Judaism and Christianity. Jason, welcome to New Books and Biblical Studies. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. So, Jason, let's begin with you telling us about yourself, including how you first got onto the topic of Israelite identity. Yeah, it's um, this actually goes all the way back to a 2003 class uh, that I was taking as an undergrad uh, at Florida State on the Hebrew prophets. Uh, And that was a a survey class. It was a pretty involved survey class. uh, And one of the things that we had to do for that class is choose a prophet, a, a biblical prophet, where that would be kind of our focus for the semester uh, for our final project. And, you know, I, I wasn't sure who actually I was going to choose uh, initially and then eventually settled on uh, Jeremiah seems like a good place to go and ended up focusing on the Book of Consolation, particularly the New Covenant passage, which just carried some interest at the time. So he's like, all right, well, you know, I'll take a look at this and just see what's going on here. Uh and the the work for that paper basically quickly raised the question of how like what does he mean by Israel here because you know as you know that that prophecy is is uh uh in those days says the lord i will make a new covenant with the house of israel and with the house of judah and that that's kind of an odd thing to say. And I, I noticed a number of commentators saying, well, you know, this is a bit of a strange thing for Jeremiah to be saying now because the house of Israel had, you know, ceased to be a kingdom for over a hundred years by this point. So any, you know, anybody's guess exactly what is meant here, but um, you know, you've got this promise of the restoration and reunification, not only of Judah after the, uh, the collapse that Jeremiah is saying is going to happen with the fall of Jerusalem and all of that to Babylon, but of the house of Israel. And this is, this is language that specifically distinguishes the Southern kingdom uh, of Judah from the Northern kingdom of Israel. And again, the, the Northern kingdom had, had not existed since uh, the eighth century. This is, you know, another almost century and a half earlier uh, before Jeremiah began to prophesy. So, and, and that was, of course, by the Assyrians uh, before the Babylonians came into to Judah and, and ended that kingdom. So this then means that Jeremiah is prophesying the restoration of an Israel that no longer existed in his own day. And that that stood out to me. Uh, 
and the other thing that really struck me when I was going through this was I was already familiar with the new covenant prophecy from some of the stuff in the new Testament, from a few other uh, prophetic passages and so on that were used in the new Testament. And the thing that stood out to me on that was in the new Testament, those promises seem to be used pretty differently than what I was seeing in the context in the prophets. So that led me to really investigate what was going on here. Uh, first of all, in the prophets, and then sort of extend out to what's going on in the second temple period and into the new Testament and beyond to get some sense of, of, of what's going on there. And that led to this project. So it's a, it's been a long standing project and, uh, uh, I've been very glad to be drawing to an end in terms of, uh, of of all of this after after all that time. Now I have to ask, your bio also mentions that you're an American football coach and analyst. Tell us more about that. <laughs> yeah, I haven't coached in the last couple of years uh, since uh, since I the birth of my of my children. Uh, I've had to step away from from doing that as much. But yeah, I have uh, I have coached football uh, at the high school level here. Uh, I I was a, a walk on uh, uh, player in college and, uh, and, you know, retained a lot of ties on that and still really enjoy the game and enjoy teaching and, and coaching. Uh, and I got the opportunity to do some of that and, and gain uh, a reasonable reputation to, to be able to do that. So I did it at more than one place uh, as, as uh, I was basically invited to move over and, and help another, another school and help some kids. And it's a good opportunity to really pour into some, uh, some players and young people uh, and to, you know, coaching is more than just uh, uh, doing the uh, the game stuff. It's really trying to build into people's lives, and that's something that I'm I'm interested in as well. So um, that gave me that opportunity, and now as well, since especially since I'm uh, a contingent faculty and don't have a whole lot of consistent income from this side of things, I've had to be creative with other side gigs, and uh, and so I've leveraged again some of that past uh that past knowledge in, in football to be able to do a lot of media work over the past 15 years to uh basically make ends meet for the family and all of that so i've done that i, I don't know how many pieces of content i've produced over the past 15 years but a lot of attention has gone to uh breaking down games and scouting and all sorts of different things uh and you know i'm just fortunate that i've been able to do that as a uh, as a side gig like i said to make ends meet now you mentioned walking on in college, was that FSU? Yeah, that was at Florida State. Well, I guess you're too young to have been slaughtered by the Miami Hurricanes. I grew up in Miami in the early 90s with Jimmy Johnson's dynasty. Oh, we we, we lost to Miami when I was there, too. Uh, we, we were uh, uh, my freshman year was the uh, uh, was a really painful loss. Uh, that was the wide left loss. And then, uh, you know, the year following was 2001 Miami, which was a pretty good team. Uh, so, you know, Sean Taylor had a, had a pretty good day and, and dope that day. So we, we, we had our, we had our, um, difficulties with Miami when I was there, unfortunately, but, uh, at least now, you know, things are back uh, headed in the right direction, got, got things going in the, in, in the uh, proper result last year. So we'll see how it goes this year. All right, let's get back to your book. Many listeners may not realize the need for nuance and using the designation Israel. What problem are you endeavoring to address with your book, The Idea of Israel? So one of the things that really stood out to me when I when I started diving into this work, you know, almost 20 years ago, uh, was that pretty much all or close to all modern scholarship in the in the late Second Temple period and, and into New Testament studies and, and all of that has presumed that in the Second Temple period, Israel is used as a synonymous term with the Jews, that is 
the Greek word Yehudaioi or uh, the Hebrew Yehudim, Yehudim, you know, and also uh, the term Hebrews, that these are just synonyms that, you know, you just can kind of alternate them. And actually in scholarship, they often get used uh, as, you know, they, they get used interchangeably just for style. So you don't say the one over and over again, because we English uh, speakers and writers tend not to like repetition like that. But what I found is when you actually take a close look at the literature of the Second Temple period, the authors of that period and the, the, the data of that period show that those terms are not treated as synonymous within that period. And so that really led to the, the first thesis of this book, which is that uh, essentially Jews are not synonymous with Israelites in the Second Temple period, but instead Jews are a subset of the larger group of Israel. So specifically the subset derived from the Southern kingdom of Judah. So that's comprised traditionally of uh, Jews being from Judah proper, then Benjaminites who are associated with the kingdom of Judah. And then of course uh, the Levitical tribe, the Levites uh, from which the priests come that, that those, those three tribes, Southern tribes tend to get uh, called Jews uh, deriving from that term Judahite, essentially. Uh, and then you have, then Israel is a larger category that then includes those associated with and descended from the northern tribes of Israel, from the northern kingdom. And so what that means is that by definition throughout the Second Temple period, and essentially my argument is that the pre-exilic distinction that's made, and you see you know, evident in, say, Jeremiah's prophecy there, that pre-exilic definition more or less gets maintained, though with some adjustment and, and, and all of that within the discourse, into the Second Temple period. So that by definition, in the way that these terms are treated through the Second Temple period, there are consistently non-Jewish Israelites. Uh, one example of that, the smoking gun for this, as it were, is the Samaritans. The Samaritans are a group of people who claim to be descended from the northern tribes, the Joseph tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, but they don't claim to be Jews. They're not Jews. And Jews don't consider them Jews. They don't call themselves Jews, but they call themselves Israelites. And whether or not they actually count as Israelites is, a, is an open question for, for Jews in, in, uh, in the Second Temple period. There are some who really reject that claim and regard them as imposters. Others are a little bit more um, open to that, to that claim. So that opens the door then to understanding that these are not exactly synonymous terms, though one includes the other, as it were. And then the third term I, I needed to cover in this as well, because it's related, though I don't spend as much time on it, is the, the term Hebrew. And again, this is a term that is often used as synonymous with Israel or Israelites and, and Jews in modern scholarship. But what I found is that, uh, that this term is consistently in the Second Temple period treated as a linguistic term. So it may have meant something different before the Second Temple period. And, you know, you've got the Apiru and all of this that you can get into before that and what the origins of that may have been. But by the Second Temple period, it it is pretty consistently used to refer to Semitic speakers who may or may not be Jewish. You may have Hebrew Samaritans, for example. These are Samaritans who speak. They're, they're non-Greek speakers. They're not Latin speakers, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and so that's the way that Hebrew tends to be used in the Second Temple period as well. Uh, and so one example of this, just to just quickly, the, the, another really good data point for this is that is Josephus. Josephus, for example, uses Israel or Israelite 
188 times. All of those uses are in the first 11 books of his, of, of the, of antiquities, which happens to be the period that coincides with the pre-exilic period when the kingdom of Israel is around. He transitions though to Jews at exactly the point in the antiquities when he transitions to the term, uh, when, when you have the, uh, the, basically the return from Babylon from, uh, by the, the remnant from the kingdom of Judah. And it, it basically Yehudaios appears 1188 times in his works, but only 28 times in the first 10 books of the antiquities when he's using Israel and Israelite and Hebrew more frequently. So, uh, and he he actually gives this explanation where he says, well, you know, from the time they went up from Babylon, they were called by this name, Yudaios, after the tribe of Judah, since that was the prominent tribe to come from those parts. Both the people of themselves and the country have taken their name from it. So he gives us an explanation for why he transitions in terminology and why he no longer uses the term Israel in the rest of his of his works, which deal with more contemporary times. So. That to me is is an important distinction that that we should be paying close attention to when we start dealing with Second Temple literature, and we and and I think it helps explain certain things that uh, that have been regarded as confusing in modern scholarship. So one reason why having an accurate perspective on Israel matters, as underscored by your book, is in relation to the concept of restoration eschatology. Would you explain that point for us? Yeah, this is really the second thesis of the book, and and that is once we recognize that Israel is not treated as synonymous with or limited to the Jews in uh, this in this period, we're we're able to understand a lot of the prophetic or restorationist texts more clearly. So essentially, my second thesis is that a large number of early Jewish texts expect God to restore Israel. I don't think that's in question. I mean, that's hardly debatable. But what's interesting is, if you look closely, they're expecting God to restore not Jews or not Judah, but the whole people of Israel, which includes both Jews, that is, those from Judah, from the south, and the non-Jewish Israelites from the tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel, most of whom are understood variously as having been scattered among the nations and they're out there in some fashion. And you get with some remarkable level of consistency this idea that unless all 12 tribes are included in this restoration, the restoration is incomplete. And so you you get this across the board that basically when God comes in and does what he promised through the prophets, whether that be Jeremiah with the new covenant promise, whether that be Ezekiel with the valley of dry bones, which the the dry bones are, of course, the whole house of Israel, (laughs) And then the second part of that Ezekiel 37 vision is taking two sticks, one for Judah and one for Ephraim and joining them in one hand. Well, okay, this is imagery of the regathering of the whole people of Israel, including the stick of Judah, that is Jews, and the rest of Israel, which are not Jews. Uh, Once we understand this distinction, this allows us to then take a look at how these later things, whether it be in the New Testament, whether it be, say, the book of Tobit, whether it be uh, what Josephus is doing, there's a lot of later material. I mean, actually, even into uh, into the Mishnah and into the, into the Talmud uh, and, and later rabbinic 
material, you get the same kinds of, of, of things where you get questions about the 10 tribes and, and all of these things are still around. Once you, once we understand that distinction, we can understand sort of a lot of the discourse and arguments that people are making in this period that seem pretty confusing until you make that distinction. Uh, and so that I think is the, is the primary, uh, the primary part of what I, what I look at as the second thesis of this book. Now, how is the concept of Israel developed in early Judaism? So this, this again is, this is, uh, this is varied because I mean, you know, for a lot of reasons, you have people who talk about early Judaisms, right? That this, that Judaism itself is not a, uh, a monolithic thing in this period, but you do have certain things that are pretty consistent within the discourse because they come from, you know, the constraints of earlier tradition. And this is where the idea or the concept of Israel is one of those sort of constraints. You have prior tradition that's being developed in the second temple period. And, and, Essentially, you have the, uh, the, the idea or the concept of Israel comes from a pre-exilic situation where you have two nations that worship the same God. You have Israel and Judah. Exactly what is going on in the ground historically there, you know, that's a, that's a whole different question. But what we do know is that you have these, these groups that are worshiping the same God. Judah persists longer and essentially worships not the God of Judah, interestingly, but the God of Israel. Uh, the, you, we don't actually see within the within the literature, God of Judah used. The God of Israel is worshipped by the kingdom of Judah, which is itself interesting. And then uh, throughout this this period, then you have this expectation that after these kingdoms are destroyed, there are there were prophets that while those kingdoms were around, were saying, yeah, things are going to go bad. Uh, these other nations are going to come in and destroy, uh, destroy these kingdoms. And then God's going to restore things to the way that they were when uh, the way that they were in the past. Uh, And essentially you have an ideal image of a past 12 or 13, depending on how you count tribe Israel that was properly unified in the past when God's favor was most evident and you have this kind of idyllic picture, whether that's with Solomon or, or David or, you know, going back to to uh, Joshua and Moses. You know, th- there's these there's this ideal past of a 12 tribe unified Israel when God's favor was there and the people had peace. And that group, th- that 12 tribe entity doesn't exist in the present. In the post-exilic period, you have essentially people who've been scattered. You've got people who are retaining their own uh, group identity and they're looking back to the past to define who they are as we all do, right? This is what tradition, this is what peoplehood actually entails and they're developing that for the future. And so at this, at what they're doing is they're looking back to this ideal time, uh, this idyllic time and, and, and this kind of traditioning of that time. And they're saying, you know, God has promised that, he's going to take us back to something like that, but even better. And he's going to exalt us above the nations. Now who, who are, who is us? Well, that's the people of Israel. Well, interestingly, again, that means more than just say the, the Jewish remnant that got taken to Babylon or the people that remained in, in the, in the area of what becomes Yehud or, or Judea, but the whole people, including 
the Northerners. And of course, the Northerners were exiled and had effectively, many many of the northern portions of Israel had effectively disappeared as distinct entities or distinct, distinct tribes during the centuries after the 8th century deportations under Assyria. Now, you would think, maybe if you were traditioning this later on, that okay, well, we're going to just adopt, you know, the name Israel, but we're going to drop, you know, the idea that there's going to be an expectation that those tribes will be restored. But that doesn't actually happen. Consistently, you have this expectation of, well, they're out there somewhere just like we are. We may not know where they are or, you know, there's other things in play. But um, I mean, even as late as, you know, Fourth Ezra, you have, you know, this expectation of people way beyond the Euphrates that God is reserved specially to re- restore at the proper time, right? So this is well into the you know later parts of the first century that you have this. And essentially, you have this expectation of Israelite redemption and this identity of us as a part of Israel, but Israel is kind of a once was, now is not, but will be kind of thing. And this helps identify the people in the sort of already but not yet or not already kind of situation uh, and establishes, I think, a fundamental eschatology of a hopeful future, despite the present being less than ideal, as foundational, as core to what becomes a variety of different forms of, of, of Judaism. And, you know, you look at Jacob Neusner, for example, talks about formative Judaism as this kind of meta narrative of exile and return and some of these things. And I think this is very much at the root of all of this is this conception of Israel as something ideal in the past, 12 tribes, God is present. None of that's really true in the, in the present, but it will be true at some point in the future. And I should mention some parts of Northern Israel did remain. I mean, the Samaritans, as I mentioned, uh, you have uh, hints of re- small remnants of other tribes. Uh, Asher, for example, comes up a couple times in say first uh, or what first or second uh, 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 first or second um, uh, chronicles, and then you have Anna from the tribe of Asher mentioned sort of oddly in uh, in Luke, which is the first you get that kind of mention of any other tribe like that uh, in that period, but. Tribes like Naphtali or Reuben or Dan, they're just absent from the record at this point. But like I said, many Jews still thought those tribes were a necessary component of a future restoration. So they must be out there to be restored. Or maybe there's going to be a resurrection or some other miraculous divine intervention that's going to happen to make that that restoration possible. So there's a range of views about how that's going to happen. But this conception of what Israel is and what what Israel will be is pretty consistent uh, across early Jewish literature. Jason, what do you hope readers will come away with after reading the idea of Israel? So, I mean, it's pretty simple, actually. I mean, I think many modern scholars have just worked from the presupposition that when you see the word Israel or Israelite, it just equals the Jews. And I think that has obscured what's going on in many early Jewish texts, and uh, uh, especially, actually, the, the text of the New Testament, where I think the uh, earliest Jesus movement and into Paul, uh, they are Israelite restorationists. They're expecting, Jesus says, you know, uh, uh, you, you 12 will sit on 12 thrones. You will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, one of the things that that should raise immediately in the interpreter's mind is, wait, what 12 tribes of Israel? There aren't 12 tribes of Israel running around in Jesus' day. So that means he's expecting the 12 tribes to be restored somehow. 
And so this is a part of this early Jewish expectation for this eschatological or end times, end of the age kind of restoration of an idealized Israel for the present. And I think that connects with the, the imagery of the kingdom of God and all of these other things. Uh, and I think you get similar things in other early Jewish movements, whether that be understanding how what's going on in, in uh, the Maccabean period and what's going on with Bar Kokhba and all of these things. There's a lot of this that helps make more sense of a lot of that data that doesn't make as much sense when we treat these things, when we presuppose that these things are just equal terms. Uh, and I think it obscures a significant amount of diversity within early Judaism as well, that, that uh, in terms of how they understand these kinds of things and what are, what groups are arguing about that essentially I hope readers of my book then walk away attuned to the way that early Jewish le- authors are leveraging the concept of Israel and how that impacts the various political and religious and cultural discourses of the period. And I think once those distinctions are understood, a lot of things that are really difficult or seem contradictory suddenly then make sense because we're not actually treating different categories as though they're the same. We're working within the categories that the authors themselves are. And I think that that helps a lot. I think it's interesting that you brought up the reference to the tribe of Asher at the beginning of Luke, because taking Luke-Acts together as a diptych, it's clear that Luke has the Samaritans as representing the northern kingdom, where you know the message goes from Judea and Samaria, then to all the ends of the earth. And there's, there's no controversy. Uh, you don't have that council in Acts 15 until you have issues with the Gentiles, but when the Samaritans are joining the movement, there's absolutely no controversy. And in fact, James's reference in Acts 15 to Amos makes it clear when the booth of David is restored, that is the whole kingdom, north and south, he sees that as being fulfilled with the Samaritans joining with the Jews and reconciling. Yeah, I, I think the work of Isaac Oliver in particular here has been really uh, groundbreaking in terms of, of uh, Acts, uh, Luke-Acts, and it's uh, it's conception of the the restoration of Israel. And I think actually Samaria is looked at as part of the Northern Kingdom, but it has to go further. And I think that's where the the ends of the earth thing comes in, because that's language from Deuteronomy when God brings in the remnant of Israel from the from the ends of the earth. Though you be at the ends of the earth, I will, uh, you know, I will bring you back. Right. This is uh, end of Deuteronomy and also uh, Leviticus uh, 26, I think. Um, But this ends of the earth language is very much deriving from this restoration expectation. Now, the question is, how do they, how are we supposed to handle, like, look, I could get it when the Samaritans are coming in, like, that makes some sense. But what do we do with these Gentiles? How do they fit into this expectation of, you know, restoration of Israel from the, from the, the ends of the earth? And that, I think, is exactly what they're grappling with in Acts 15. I think that's exactly what Paul is grappling with and arguing about in his own letters and all of that is this is all about Israel's restoration. And then you have to figure out, they're trying to sort of work on the fly on, okay, now we've got Gentiles coming in and we don't know how to, like, how does this fit with the with the program? And I think that's a lot of what's going on there. What's next for you in terms of projects? Do you have any writing going on now? So I have another book coming in the spring of 2023, uh, which is sort of companion volume uh, to this one. Uh, that book will be called Paul and the Resurrection of Israel. It's also with Cambridge University Press. It'll be, uh, like I said, spring of 2023. And it basically 
in that book, I'm, I'm trying to explain how Paul's understanding of Israel and his expectation of Israel's restoration then work hand in glove with his ministry to Gentiles and, and the gospel as a whole. So in that book, I'm basically building on the foundation in this book and the idea of Israel and arguing that Paul makes a lot more sense once we treat him as an early Jewish teacher, still anticipating the restoration of Israel that includes both Jews and non-Jewish Israelites. And the issue, what, what I essentially argue is that he is reading um, Hosea and other, other uh, prophetic passages along with, with Torah passages and understands the bulk of the Northern Kingdom as having intermarried among the nations and essentially ceasing to be ethnically distinct from the Gentiles. So essentially, the bulk of Israel gentilized and they're not ethnically distinct. They're not Israel anymore. But God promised to restore Israel. So now what? And so this is where he leverages Hosea. I will say to those who are not my people, my people. And my argument is that, that essentially Paul argues that God is effectively resurrecting Israel by incorporating Gentiles among whom Israel was sown through the spirit. And so essentially God is restoring all 12 tribes of Israel by the very inclusion of Gentiles who've received the spirit and essentially become resurrected Israelites to some, to some degree. They're not Israelites. And now by the spirit, they become Israelites and they're not Jews, but they are part of this restored Israel. And, and I think this is a big part of what is being argued uh, and what, what's being uh, uh, what, what the, uh, the, the debates are about in that earliest phase of, what becomes Christianity as they're trying to make sense of this, you know, okay, if Jesus is the Messiah, we got to get the, you know, the 12 tribes are going to show up. Now what? Well, the 12 tribes don't show up, but a bunch of Gentiles do. And now you have to make sense of that. And that's where the not my people stuff comes in and all of that. And, oh, Israel's showing up in a way that we didn't expect. So um, after that, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that being out and done. Um, I'm going to be focusing some attention on some popular level projects. I've got a few uh, books for young children that I'm excited to get done and uh, a, a new podcast and video channel that, uh, called the Bible pod that I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing. And then some books aimed at some lay leaders as well, uh, or at lay readers that is uh, building uh, on some of this academic research and, and so on. As far as future academic work, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> we'll see some of that's contingent a bit on, uh, on academic employment. I mean, uh, at a certain point, I may not just I may not have the ability to keep producing academic monographs or, or, or all of that, though. I've got a bunch of I've got a backlog of of articles on all sorts of things. The prodigal son parable, Philo and Plotinus, you know, all uh, some Leviticus stuff, a variety of things I'd like to get to. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll see where things are in a couple of years in terms of um, of employment and whether or not I actually have the resources to keep doing that. Jason, thank you for being with us. It's been a fascinating discussion on Israel. All the best. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Friends, you've been listening to New Books and Biblical Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. Until next time, goodbye.